To say the year 2020 has changed how we think about education, health, and personal well-being would be an understatement. Between the COVID-19 pandemic, a divisive election, and countrywide protests, the American people are experiencing record levels of anxiety and stress. But how do all these large-scale factors affect smaller communities and institutions? From English and journalism students Grace Apostle, Victoria Gill, Nicole Hatfield, Megan Locke, Leah Duff, that's me, and Evan Gaines. That's me! This is Washington College's Transparency Trap. Washington College, affectionately known as WAC to students and community members, is a liberal arts college in Chestertown, a small town on the eastern shore of Maryland that sits on the banks of the Chester River. The college was founded in 1782 and was first chartered by General George Washington. He donated 50 guineas to the school's founding and served on the first Board of Visitors and Governors. Washington at Chester remains the 10th oldest college in the nation. But like many liberal arts colleges around the country, Washington College has been struggling to fulfill its financial needs for the past five years. According to the College Board, Washington College recently received 2,225 applications and admitted 2,055. However, only 325 of those who were admitted ended up enrolling. This is a statement from WAC student newspaper, The Elm, on October 21, 2020. While over his many years of tenure, there were many reasons why the financial deficit grew to this point, Dr. Lynch said that there are three main reasons that have surmounted the rest. First, the decline in student enrollment by almost 200 students caused the college to lose around 5.7 million. This is an estimated 14% drop in total enrollment, causing a loss of about $30,000 per student. Second, students are now paying less in net tuition because the college is being more generous with financial aid, according to Dr. Lynch. This lessening amount of revenue per student takes another $5 million away from the college. This was written by our reporter, Victoria Gill. In 2017, the last year of former President Sheila Bear's tenure, the school announced their fixed for four and damn the debt plans, as well as a tuition freeze to alleviate stress for students paying tuition and loan debt. However, in following semesters, declining emissions resulted in a worsening financial situation for the school. The following tenure of former President Kurt Landgraf was characterized by a stormy relationship between the school's governing bodies and the staff and students. And I'm going to be your cruise director for this evening. Uh, no, I'm the moderator, um, and I'll explain to you a little bit about what that means in just a moment. But During the last year of former President Kurt Landgraf's tenure, spring 2020, the campus had come to a reckoning with their lack of meaningful action around racial bias incidents, public safety, and administration response. The moment came to a head last spring at a packed town hall meeting with then-President Langraf and current dean students Sarah Fireherm, in which students and faculty demanded meaningful action on everything from racial sensitivity to sexual assault response. This is Felicia Tor, class of 2020, speaking at that town hall meeting. It's been four years of fatigue on this campus. I've got an excellent education that no other college but Washington College would ever provide for me. And I absolutely agree with President Landgraf and Dean DeCrencio when we say that it's not us, it's not the student responsibility. But in all due respect, we've had to call for this town hall. We've had to spend midnight. Instead of writing pieces and studying for exams, we've had to call 
poetically, and befitting of the issues which spurred the town hall meeting. In response to Felicia's question about administrative action, former President Kurt Landgraf shrugged his shoulders. These underlying problems of transparency at Washington College have slowly been sharpening their edges. In the tumultuous year of 2020, these habitual communication breakdowns between the college's administration and its community have severe consequences for many people, both directly and indirectly related to this Waterside community. This March, the situation became further complicated. Students left campus for spring break, and most never came back. This is our reporter, Victoria Gill, retelling their experience from last spring. And I was in Philadelphia during our spring break. And during that week, it was the week after my sister had her spring break. And during that week, you know, when she was in school and I wasn't, since Monday or like Saturday, I was slowly watching the school updating about like, Friday's gonna be our last day of classes. Thursday, they're like, we are going online for the rest of the semester. And just like that, I was like, holy shit, that was quick. Um, And then by Thursday, that's when Washington College started, you know, giving these subtle hints of like, um, we're thinking about like not doing classes anymore. And we're like, we're just going to be expanding, extending the break for two weeks. And then we're not going to do it anymore. And we're going to be fully online. And, you know, during that time, I was like, shoot, I need to go back to Maryland, grab my stuff and get out of here because this is going to turn crazy. In the early months of the pandemic, President Trump tried to reassure Americans that COVID-19 would disappear. 
praising his own administration's response. I think it's going to work out good. There's no reason to panic because we have done so good. That's a very tricky one. That's a very delicate one. Uh, it's also more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus. The interview also shows that the president held back information that critics argue could have saved lives. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes. Because I don't want to create a panic. It's sort of eerie. It's like a ghost world. That voice is Shane Brill, sustainability director for Washington College, talking about what it's like to have no students on campus during a school year. To see this place that's intended to to have these gatherings and, um, you know, you walk down the catwalk at the middle of the day and there's no one in sight. It's sort of eerie. It's like a ghost world. Without students and faculty on campus to maintain the word-of-mouth communication, which the small school tends to lean on to spread information, community members turn to social media to understand what the hell was going on on campus. When Washington College's official Instagram page announced its plan for reopening campus for the semester of spring 2021, the post garnered 33 comments in 12 different threads. We are excited to announce the official plan for the spring 2021 semester. In February, we will be welcoming about 450 students back to campus. All first-year students will first be invited to return, as well as some upperclassmen who support first-year students' social and academic transition. Several responses echoed the sentiments of one user who said, I don't understand how you can use the word excited for this announcement. This is beyond disappointing for the majority of students. And on the other end of the spectrum was a whole other kind of disappointment. Also, are we going to ignore that having a high-risk group on campus is going to absolutely disintegrate any health systems that the city of Chestertown has and can provide? Did you guys forget you're going to wipe out the whole town with COVID if you bring freshmen back? What? This is nuts. It's a tiny school. Are you kidding me? I know we don't even have grades yet. Maybe time to go to social media and make this public. This is wrong. What you're about to hear is a recent clip from a campus news podcast, Washington College Weekly with Olivia Montez. Here, Annalie Buscarino of PeerSmart, the peer sexual misconduct advocacy and response team, speaks on the role of social media in campus dialogue. Bringing the conversation back briefly to campus, there have also been concerns around the school, particularly through the Instagram account Wackanon, regarding how the handling of different sexual assault and different violence cases by the Title IX administration have been, as you said, lacking in transparency needed to appropriately handle these cases and therefore give peace of mind, for lack of a better word, to these survivors. How do you believe this kind of outreach or how this platform kind of impacted how fellow students or their peers came forward or letting other students know this is a problem and this needs to be acknowledged and really improved upon? There's a lot of controversial perspectives about the Anon accounts on Instagram, but I think that the focus should be on the fact that students felt they had to be created in the first place. 
And as we've seen, there has been an onslaught of information about experiences with victimization that have been posted on there. And I think the concern with that should be that students either did not feel comfortable or did not feel heard to report their experiences of victimization to our administration and felt that in order to be validated, they had to go onto social media. The Instagram page at AnonWack was created by an anonymous party this summer and has become a space to vent the frustrations of students who feel like their voices are not heard and who don't feel like they can rely on the administration to hear them. Our team reached out via Instagram direct message for a comment, but the account did not respond. A quote from the Wackanon page by an alleged freshman reads, I don't have a story, but I do wish to tell someone because I'm tired of holding it to myself. I am ashamed of everything going on, and I'm starting to be ashamed to call this college my college. I didn't even start college yet. Now I honestly don't feel like attending because I'm so ashamed of the people and the staff from everything I've heard. And to everyone that has been hurt, I am terribly sorry. It is absolutely disgusting what has happened in the lack of helpfulness. That quote was read by freshman class president and member of the Transparency Trap team, Grace Apostle. It should be noted that since the Wackanon page does not disclose sources for the stories and opinions it quotes, not all the claims it makes can be substantiated. Our reporter Nicole talked to Dr. Courtney Rydell, an associate professor of English at Washington College, on the issues that led to the creation of Wackanon. I think looking for a lot of communication about these issues <laughs> um, is likely to lead to disappointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's there's such like a rumor mill about Washington College that which is deeply frustrating because not all of it is accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, but Goose Nation is a really tight knit community. Yeah, it really is. And so um, that has in the past. Um, especially with, I would, I would have to say, uh, Kurt Landgraf sometimes. And to a certain extent, Sheila Bear. Um, that has been identified as a reason not to communicate things to the faculty. With the idea that if we're told anything, we will be indiscreet. It can often feel like the administration relies on this student-faculty community grapevine to spread necessary information, rather than disclosing directly. But even before COVID-19 collapsed this grapevine, this informal method of news spreading led to rumors, confusion, and anxiety. What communications the college does send are often in the form of long and flowery emails rather than blunt, succinct, streamlined communiques. Email lists are also not always well-managed, meaning that some necessary emails don't end up in people's inboxes when they need to. This fall 2020 semester has been completely remote, with only online courses being offered. This new type of learning experience has been hard for a lot of students and professors who didn't originally sign up for an online format. But despite the stress of dealing with a new normal, the Chestertown and Washington College community has found support and strength within one another. Veronica Jones Isaacs is a 66-year-old resident of Chestertown who worked in Washington College's dining hall for almost five years. Known to many as Miss V, she is a much-beloved face on campus. 
However, she was laid off over the summer and this came as a shock to some. I only heard about it when I came walking home from work one afternoon this summer and found her talking with some of my housemates on the stoop. Ever since then, Miss V and I go walking together in Chestertown's Wilmer Park a couple mornings every week to keep each other company. The news of your layoff was not advertised by the school as far as I saw, and most of the people, a lot of people I talked to actually found out about it from me. Um, yeah, and they were kind of shocked to hear about it. So if you're up to it, um, would you like to summarize like what happened with that? They They did inform me that we were going to be laid off mm-hmm. and um then eventually a letter did come out uh that the director prince johnson was not able to um have me come back because of uh covet 19 mm-hmm. and cutbacks at the college and i did talk with uh HR, but I understand, uh, I understand the situation. It's for, it was for my safety. And I really enjoyed working for Washington College Cafeteria. I love the students very much, the staff, the faculty, my coworkers, every, anyone that I came involved with at Washington College. And the community really loved you too, and we're going to miss you. Yes, I I, I I miss them now. Yeah. I miss them now. Are you and planning on coming back? And if not, why? I I I may take that in if they wanted me to come back. Mm-hmm. I I may take that in consideration if you know, COVID is lifted and um, you know the virus gets better. I would consider it if they wanted me back. Did they? But I'm I'm, I'm I really am enjoying my time off right now i'm enjoying and i'm not looking for a job right now but if necessary i will look for something but i'm okay right now and um god is taking care of me and i'm taking care of myself Shane Brill, assistant director of the ESFL and the director of sustainability for the college, is another employee who lives in Chestertown. He's noticed that despite campus being like a ghost town, people are still searching for connections. Again, this is a reporter, Nicole, on the Zoom call with Shane. Just like general feelers, like how do you think that like morale almost on campus has changed? Well, that's that's a great question. You know, we convey our values through our stories, through the stories that we tell. And the story that I'm seeing told over and over again right now is this wanting to come together, whether, you know, it's through these virtual Zoom things um, of different kinds. I'm seeing collaborative efforts between different groups, joining forces to do things, and these tendrils sort of reaching for each other. And that's really, I think, at the heart of the Washington College experience is this connection that we have between students and faculty, faculty and staff, staff and students, you know, everyone's connected in a, um, in a really cohesive way. And I, there's that sense of longing right now that people just want to be back together. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. one of the things that really characterizes the Washington College experience um, is this sense of community. How do you have a feeling for just student morale right now? I mean, I mean, I think it's kind of... 
I'll say this. I actually think there's two different versions of student morale. The voice you're hearing right now is Professor Alicia Cosma, head of the Communications and Media Studies Department at Washington College. I think students, at least in from conversations I've had with my students and in interactions, I think students are really thankful for their professors right now. I know I'm really thankful for my students right now. <laughs> I don't know if the same can be said of students towards the larger institution. And so I want to make that distinction because I think when students talk about quote unquote Washington College, they're not talking about faculty for the most part. They're talking about the institution. And I have seen that split, mm. you know, between kind of professors or how student, the morale of students towards faculty and the morale of students towards the institution. So I think it's two different things. Um, I think morale towards the institution is not great. And I would pinpoint it specifically to a lack of consistent and respectful communication and a lack of transparency. And listen, I'm not saying everybody, like I'm not saying everything should be 100% transparent. Like I, I don't wanna know the, the untenable layers of bureaucracy that exist, right? And I don't think students really do either. But I do think everybody just wants clear and consistent and quite frankly, like respectful communication. And I think there has been, from an institutional perspective, a lack of that this semester. And it is frankly bumming everybody out. Meanwhile, freshmen who have barely had any exposure to Chestertown are trying to find a sense of camaraderie about a campus they have never seen. Um, <laughs> so with you know coming in as a freshman with COVID and everything you know how do you feel the communication has been i hate zoom <laughs> like i was like the whole like planning for COVID. i ju i still want to say how ter how much annoyed i was that they waited to the last second to tell everyone we weren't going to be there in the fall and how like that decision came because i feel mm -hmm. like they should earlier i'm happier they're doing stuff earlier and letting us know plans and like setting these plans in motion earlier mm -hmm. but sometimes i feel like it's too early because it's all the way in february like late january february right. when we have to like kind of hold our breath and it's so much time that things can change like i'm happy they're making plans i'm happy they're doing all this like they're having like they're telling what we're doing like putting aside budget all for all this stuff but it doesn't like no one knows what's going to happen like at this point right. we vaccine we could not we could be able to not wear masks anymore and go back completely normal no more social distancing blah 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 blah, blah. like don't know what's happening and so like i don't even blame the college for it it's just they're trying to make it through like such uncharted waters and they're trying to do the best they can mm -hmm. even if it's a little annoying not with like going from not enough planning to too much planning that was abigail collins class of 2024 talking with our freshman reporter grace apostle as much as students like her have been struggling, faculty are doing their best to ease the burden. One of the things that I experienced in the lead up to tenure that has also been the case during this pandemic is that my colleagues are my rock. I cannot say enough good things about my colleagues across the college. Um, at, at this point under COVID, I would have to say without exception that the degree of mutual support communication, um, workshops, advice, emails, helping each other figure out new technologies, um, discussing how best to serve our students. Um, 
advocating for our students' well-being with each other has has been an all-time high. Mm-hmm. Nobody I've spoken to um, at any other institution has had anything like it. It's very clear to me that students are aware that for all of the struggles and issues that they are going through, their professors are going through the same thing too. And that's, I think it's obvious to everybody. And so I think morale, I'm not even gonna call that morale, I'm gonna call that solidarity Mm. (laughs) because that's what it is. Once again, that was Dr. Rydell and Dr. Cosma. But while it's important for faculty and students to trust their peers and each other, they don't always feel like they can rely on the administration. It takes more than just students and professors to run a college. The bureaucratic frameworks around them are essential support, and lately it's felt like that framework is crumbling. Resentment of this perceived communication failure has created an unproductive, almost combative attitude between WAC's community and the administrative staff. When I interviewed Dr. Cosmo on this, she had a lot to say. So you talk about, you know, this lack of consistency, a lack of communication. I mean, just your experiences over this online semester. uh, Could you give me an example? Yeah, I'll give you an example of registration, right? Mm -hmm. So registration um, for students was scheduled for one given time. It was then pushed back, and I understand why it was pushed back because essentially people, the people who make these decisions were trying to make decisions about what's gonna happen in the spring. And it is absolutely reasonable to give students information about what they think the spring semester may look like, right, before registration. So in order to accommodate, accommodate that, registration was pushed back and that's totally normal and it makes complete sense. But even with that additional time, when it was, when seniors were ready to register, um the schedule didn't work it wasn't uploaded into the system so people could see their classes i couldn't see in my students records i couldn't see anything that they had planned you know grades the classes that students took in spring of 2020 (laughs) weren't on anybody's records and so it made registration super hard um and because none of that information was shared ahead of time like oh hey Classes that people took in 2020, we know they're not on their records. Just like be aware of that when you look at it. Instead, everybody who was advising students to register had to figure that out for themselves while they were going through the process. For me, that really takes time away from what like advising for registration is. And that's a chance for the advisor to check in with the student, make sure they're doing what they're doing and make sure they're getting what they need. Because when we're just messing around with systems that aren't updated that we didn't expect, all that does is take time away from the student. Where do you think these like bureaucratic problems arise from in Washington College? I mean, why do they struggle with it? Um, In the specific instance I mentioned, it's because the staff of the registrar's office, of which has now been renamed to, I think, the Office of Student Records, was severely, uh, it was decreased. There's not enough people that work there. There's more work than, than the people that work there can actively handle. Mm. And there's maybe, I think, two people that work in that are actively working, two or three people, and they're doing the job of about five people. And so it has nothing to do, particularly with the staff in the registrar's office, 
There just simply isn't enough of them. Dr. Cosma's insight raises an essential question. If the administration is struggling to meet the community's standards because they're short-staffed, who has the power to change that? When Nicole was talking to Dr. Rydell, she made an interesting comment along these lines. To key listeners in on to the context of this conversation, the information which Nicole and Dr. Rydell are discussing is about recent faculty cuts and the ensuing petition to create a faculty union. This came at the coattails of the school announcing that they would not be matching teachers' retirement payments for the foreseeable future. I feel like there's so much that is just not communicated to like the public either. Do you foresee any emails being, I mean, like WAC loves to send out long lengthy emails with like little neat bows on them, but do you think that they're going to like tell us, because the ELM has covered the unions, but do you think that they're going to put out anything? The official position of the board and of Dr. Powell is that they will not speak on it. Okay. The board has not directly communicated to the faculty at large. The last time I saw any board members was last February in a very emotional meeting in which we begged and pleaded for things such as, please get us a working website. Mm-hmm. Um, in which we begged and pleaded to save staff jobs because they help us do our job. The last that we have heard from the board leadership directly communicating to the faculty as a whole, not just representatives, um, was in a message um, informing us that uh, Kurt and Patrice's contracts were not renewed. So we have not heard heard anything. Parents of students have similar concerns about breakdowns in communication with administrators. Kimberly is an alum of Washington College and a parent of a student. She attended the parent forum in early August regarding the abrupt decision to switch to online courses just two weeks before the semester. But she felt she had to email the school again because she was dissatisfied with the responses they gave. This is our reporter Megan's conversation with her about those emails. So I read the email that you sent to, was it the task force in general back in August? It was like sort of like a go-between between alumni and the administration and trying to clarify some, some issues as a result of what happened with, I believe, the foreigner. You were in contact with Peter Schaefer. Is he like the head person? Yes. I think he's the head of the, the force. All right, because you, um, <laughs> I, honestly, I love when you said this. So, like, what did you call a load of BS when you sent that um, email originally? Well, it, from, from my perspective, listening to the, the Zoom conference, there was absolutely no information in terms of why exactly what the uh, specifics were as to why they they abruptly you know pivoted there was information that could have gone either way okay yeah and you know you're hearing different things now where it was a town who decided the students didn't want to come back so you know it, it, it just throws more shade on to, to really what's going on and actually what the really purpose of this force is. 
And from, like, what I read, I don't know how did you feel coming out of those emails, because I only saw, like, his reply saying, like, this is very valuable information. Thank you. They, they never they never answered really any of the questions to be to be perfectly honest with you uh, I think the the um, former president was very who um, answered my questions begrudgingly because I was kind of being a pain about trying to get these these questions answered which I think we had the right to know. And why do you think he said it very begrudgingly? Like, you said that he answered your questions very begrudgingly. I, I didn't think he wanted to answer the hard questions. When pressed on the issue, he couldn't answer the, the, the questions, which sort of sent up a, a yellow flag for me that, you know, something was amiss. Absolutely. I mean, everyone has the right to know, and that's why we're doing as, this. As, as a parent who's paying, Yeah. you know, I, I don't want to hear this. You know, uh, BS. So I think, you know, we're, we're all adults and we can handle the truth. While we can't say for sure if these moves by the school were intentional, it nevertheless shows us that the school has their own agenda when it comes to transparency. Parents, students, and alumni alike should not have to be a pain to have their questions answered. But it doesn't help that everyone is confused by this point in 2020. A few weeks ago, I sat down with the mayor of Chestertown, Chris Serino to talk about what it's like to be in charge during COVID and what communication between the town and the college is like. Even he noted similar issues with transparency. And honestly, when the college initially talked about bringing students, some students back in the fall, I think the community, not me personally, I think just members of the community, and this is just my supposition here, were contacting the administration at the college saying, hey, we as, a, as citizens have a lot of concerns about what you're discussing. So the, the, the town was reaching out. I, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, when, how much of the pressure to nix the, the, the fall return of students was by hand of the college internally or the town? I mean, who do you think is the real motive behind that? I can't speak to that definitively I know it wasn't because I said don't do it Um, and then I know that for that extreme of a decision to be made there had to be pressure to bring that to bear because that's a big loss of revenue for any college Um, so that's just what I believe I know the nature of my constituents and (laughs) <laughs> They're not shy about expressing uh, opinions of displeasure. Uh, Just put it that way. Said as the mayor of Chestertown. <laughs> um, so I, I live off campus, you know. I'm always walking around town properly masked up or so. But when I got back, and there's about 200 or so people off campus, and inside the first... Mm, couple weeks of September my roommate got COVID and 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 uh about like 15 or so other off-campus students got COVID what was the uh communication between the college about you know that outbreak with you or the Kent County Health Department I generally got a lot of that information from Bill Webb at the Kent County Health Department because again the college is really primarily working with 
the county health department first and then reporting back to me second uh, so that's how i found out about it I, I didn't know it was 15 but i knew it was more than just one or two so to summarize the mayor of chestertown didn't know the exact number of COVID cases on campus and thereby in his town because he was getting his information secondhand. Yeah, what, what Leah said, and I wish the transparency really stopped there with Mayor Serino, but he just kept spilling it all over the place. Before we go into problems with communication with Washington College, I wanted to give a content warning and a trigger warning because the, the events that are about to be recounted by Mayor Serino, um, they happened four years ago on campus and it involves the threat of an active shooter. No one was hurt, no shots were fired, but the event caused widespread panic and confusion on campus. Just earlier this year, I was checking, I was trying to find any evidence of all of my friends getting sick, and there was nothing published, and they're all being quarantined in Kent dorm. I mean, where do you, is the college always transparent with Chestertown? I don't know that the college is ever intentionally not transparent. What I think does happen at the college is the college is a little bit insular sometimes in their in their own machinations and it just stays in the in-house. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, there was an incident before you were at Washington College where a student went missing and was known to have had like a really tough time when he departed and he went to his parents' house and they realized he had got grabbed a, a handgun and then he was AWOL. And there were worries that he was gonna come back. This is when like there'd just been some mass shootings in other places like Virginia Tech. And there was a real concern he was gonna come back to campus with, a, with what they knew is that he had a handgun. And so I'm driving down 213 and my entire police force is blocking off every possible entrance into the college. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And this went on for hours and I never got a call, an email or any, any communication from the school about what was going on. Even though like my infrastructure was there like helping to avert a potential crisis. And I don't think anybody at the time meant to not include me in those lines of communication. I just think sometimes the college is its own entity and that connectivity that, hey, if there's a crisis on our campus and every cop in Chestertown is visibly on the street, maybe we should communicate what's happening to the greater community right now. Um, so that's just an example of how things can fall through the cracks. I think with COVID, we can see what's coming. It's like that was kind of a, a crazy spontaneous crisis where I can see how things could break down a little more easily. With COVID, we know what's coming. We know like what the difficulties could be. So uh, I'd be cautiously optimistic that we could set up a chain of communication ahead of time so that maybe there's a weekly briefing or something to avert that type of... Uh, Insularity. Yes. The Washington College administrative staff often receives both the brunt of the labor when it comes to communicating the college's affairs and the brunt of the criticism for any failures thereof. But who is our administrative staff? And how are they struggling with this too? Dr. Rydell and Dr. Cosma both had interesting things to say about staff turnover rates. For context of where the conversation is, 
The they that Nicole and Dr. Rydell are talking about is the donors. The conversation is coming from why donors donate and who they're donating it for. They could not possibly be thinking about the administration because there has been so much turnover. Just in the eight years that I've been here, we have had four different presidents. No, wait, Mitchell, Jay, Sheila, Kurt, Wayne, five different presidents in oh eight years. Um, three different provosts. I'm not even sure how many, like four different people in enrollment management recruitment of students. There's been so much turnover. I cannot keep track. The, the, the Dean of student success um, and retention and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, we're now on our fourth person in that role. Um, so they cannot possibly be thinking of the administration because the administration changes so frequently. What doesn't change is the board membership. Right. That's fairly constant. I think we're only on our second or third board chair. There's been more and more staff who are taking on essentially the work of one and a half or two or even two and a half staff people. Mm -hmm. So spread a little thin. It so is. It should probably be, well, may, it might be of some surprise to students, um, but of no surprise to faculty or, uh, quite frankly, staff who have worked in higher education. Whenever there's a budgetary issue at an institution, usually the people that feel the impact of that disproportionately are staff, and they're usually the lower paid staff. I'm also a CE celebration coordinator, and I made the point to the provost when more dramatic cuts were forecast to take place in January, the middle of the fiscal year, the board approved that plan. That was not a plan that the faculty had any, and we kicked and screamed to, to make the point that there was a problem. And I made the point that if, the, if we want this senior capstone to be one of the key features of our program, a quarter of the senior capstones on campus this year are being advised by faculty who do not have the protection of tenure. Now that said, I will observe it is a fact. I can state this. It's in the faculty handbook, which could be freely looked at by anyone. That under program change, which we are have begun, the process has begun. I am using passive voice. I am not stating a subject for who has begun the process or undertaken it. Um, tenured faculty positions can also be eliminated. Um, I can also observe that based on uh, Dr. Powell's comments in the last faculty meeting is our understanding that apparently, according to the lawyers the college has consulted, if it is not explicitly forbidden in the faculty handbook to fire someone um, in a certain process, that, that it's possible 
at least for untenured faculty. Um, so one does wonder, yeah. to what extent do any tenured faculty actually have tenure? That was Dr. Rydell and Dr. Cosma again. Next on the subject, we have our reporter Megan talking to Jocelyn Elmore, recent Washington College graduate of the class of 2020. It should be mentioned that Jocelyn was the president of the Black Student Union for the academic year of 2019 to 2020. She was also one of the many students who spearheaded the search for answers and resolutions to the diploma debacle for the class of 2020. There's too much turnover. And I think that's one of the reasons why things like this keeps happening at Washington College, because every two years there's a new president and there's no consistency and there's not an opportunity for changes to really be made. Because why, when someone comes in and changes are talked about, that person is taken out in the minute, in the next minute. So it's never an opportunity for these changes to be concrete and for someone to stick with it. Because everyone that comes into the campus is bought in, every president is bought in for a specific reason. And once they're, they've done their job, a next one is bought in. If you've noticed, it's a pattern. That's what it, it seems like. Uh, that's what concerns me. Like the, these things were promised, not even just by our president. This should have been by the school itself, meaning the board of governors, meaning the people surrounding the community, mayor surrounding. All of these things need to still be held at a pedestal and need to be done because it doesn't matter who changes in the administration. These things need to be still done to this day, and I don't think it's going to get done. Dean of Students Sarah Fireherm is also Washington College's COVID Task Force Director. And when I sat down with her outside the same coffee shop I met Mayor Serino, she had some insights on the difficulty of managing both communication and staffing at a time like this. What do you say to someone who has concerns about the ability for, and the resources we have to execute these guidelines when everyone is spread so thin when we're going into next semester. Right. Um, I, I would say that um, it's legitimate to be concerned about those things. I think as an organization, we need uh, to spend as much time thinking about how we're changing um, adjusting because we have fewer people, I think we need to spend as much time thinking about how we are then communicating that to the community um, and what the impact of this has on people. And I would say we have, we have not done a great job with that. It's a, it's a very common um, complaint and legitimate complaint in organizations like ours, right? Washington College has not cornered the market on not communicating, right? Like, it's just a it's a common um, problem and it's a common problem because it's um, because it 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 tends to be I think sort of the last thing that people do they get so focused on okay I got to change this policy or I got to change this and they forget because they know what's going on I forget sometimes that oh by the way the average student Evan might not know what this means and I we all have to keep thinking about our constituents and say okay if I'm the student what do I need to know and then we've got to we've got to build that into any change. We've got to figure out how we communicate it. So we got to communicate it more frequently. We've got to communicate it in different forums. Um, you know, you have to use social media more, um, and you have to communicate it often to sort of layer that to make sure people get it. Um, and I, you know, make no sort of excuses. We have to do better at that for sure, especially when so much is changing so quickly. 
We have to do better. 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 What can people expect when they get to Chestertown? What type of school is Washington College? So I think, and I'm sorry if I'm giving yeah. any freshman the impression of a cliche here, but I think everyone at Washington College is very friendly. So again, I'll, I'll dive into that. So I think everyone here finds their niche. This is the voice of Cole Storm, basketball player, admission tour guide, and current senior at Washington College. It's friendly, you know, everyone does what they do, and like, no one has a problem. And I think also the small class sizes are so awesome here, because you're able to connect with professors and students personally. You know, you might, you know, a lot of group projects at Washington College. And I think the freshman dorm aspect's really awesome too. I mean, freshman dorms aren't the most ideal thing. You know, being in communal bathrooms and, you know, the dorms aren't as nice as the upperclassmen, but you really do meet all your friends. That's how I met Evan. That's how I met a lot of people who are still my friends today. So I think for a freshman, you know, that freshman dorm experience is, is really, really awesome, actually. And, you know, you, that's really where you meet your classmates, which I think is good. The small, the small town community, like, you really do get to know everyone, and I think that's, like, a really cool thing about going here. So, yeah. You think Washington College can still salvage some of those experiences next semester maybe <laughs> maybe you know obviously things are going to be different from when we were freshmen but i think if you come back you still find your niche and i think you still have a chance to make friends and, and meet new people and stuff like that but I, I think it can somewhat somewhat salvage it yeah i would say many students and staff are hoping for the spring semester to have some normalcy despite the current uncertainties when Nicole spoke with Dr. Rydell, she seemed hopeful. I kind of just want to like know like how, like if you do have hope for like, because for a lot of people there's like no end in sight or it's like, oh, I don't know when my college experience is gonna go back to mm -hmm. being more like a college experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have colleagues at small liberal arts colleges that have pulled this off successfully. Mm -hmm. I have colleagues at large universities that haven't. Mm -hmm. So the, the contingency planning group has looked at the small colleges where this has worked. Okay. And they're pretty similar to us. There are more remote locations. Um, you have uh, student bodies that, that have some sense of community and responsibility towards each other, which is one of the things I love about Washington College, imperfect though it is, um, is that there is some sense of community. I am perhaps foolishly, very optimistic for spring. And the chance just to see my first year students in person, you know, even if we're all spread out in like the Taws Theater or something, is, is yeah. so exciting to me. I recognize that not everybody feels that way. And I recognize that I could be a total fool and a few months from now, I might be saying to you, I was wrong about everything. But right now, I'm really optimistic about getting back on campus. Someone who's gonna be away, what is your imagined best case scenario for the spring semester? Best case scenario, I think 
campus is open for about a month and a half. Mm-hmm. This has absolutely nothing to do with the student body and it has everything to do with our campus is so small. It's hard for me to imagine. It doesn't mean it's impossible for it to happen. It's just hard for me to imagine how such a small campus would be able to accommodate people safely, like for an extended period of time. And so I do, I mean, I do think it's helpful for students to be on campus and just like be around their peers and feel like humans. And, you know, I think it helps reduce stress and anxiety and depression and all of those things that have run so rampant through the pandemic. Um, I, I just will feel really badly if students go back to campus, if people get sick, if God forbid something worse than that happens, and then everybody has to go home again and ends up even more depressed for having like tasted something that they were missing and then have it like ripped away from them. With transparency as it stands, how can the community trust that Washington College will be able to respond well to rising COVID cases as February rolls around? When there are cases in the fall, the mayor didn't even know exactly how many students were sick, and the town didn't know anyone was sick. So how can we expect the school to handle it in the spring when the whole community's eyes are on them? What happens when someone gets sick? For this insight, we return to Cole Storm. So, uh, Cole, when students came back to campus this August, September, um, there is like, probably like 15 students that ended up catching COVID. Um, So can you, you were one of them. Could you just walk me through the experience of just first feeling sick and then just, you know, what happened with the school after that? Yeah, so I moved in and I moved in and and the first couple days, I, I don't know, I guess I got it at home or something, but I woke up the morning without taste and smell and I didn't have a fever or anything, and I was like, this is weird, you know, obviously I should go get tested. So I, I tried salsa, orange juice, tried to brush my teeth and everything, and I couldn't taste or smell. And thank God, that was my only symptom. So I went and got tested the next day immediately in Centerville, and it, I got the results within like two hours. So I got a call from health services, and they're like, hey, like we're gonna come pick you up. So basically, three people came in hazmat suits, had you know moved me out, and they moved me to Kent dorm, and the dining hall provided me food and everything, so and I couldn't taste, so I tried to eat as healthy as possible. Um, but yeah, no, I was able to bring my TV and stuff, and I was in quarantine for about a week. And um, yeah, they, the health services did a really good job, actually. You know, they came a couple times a day. There was a COVID coordinator overnight. Uh, they bought me a basketball, so it was a lot of like dribble a ball and stuff. So, you know, I I, I was really happy with how they handled it. Um, they did a really good job. My mom was kind of freaking out, but they they kind of calmed her down because obviously I was the first I was the first one. Cole Storm is in Kent dorm. You don't have any taste to smell. Um, walk me through your daily routine for that week. Yeah, so, well, I would wake up. I honestly didn't set any alarms. I, my first class was at 10 a.m. every day. So, so I'd eat breakfast, take class. I didn't have any homework because it was the first week of class. So I couldn't, like, catch up on work. So basically, like, I, I just watched Netflix and, like, just I did push-ups. I didn't really know what else to do. 
So how do you think the school overall, I mean, there's a couple of kids that also, you know, got sick when people came back to campus. How do you think, I mean, did you ever talk to anyone else that, that went to Kent? Yeah, I did actually. So they, they told me like the same thing, like, you know, the, it's really hard being alone for that long. And I was, thank, I was only a week and I think they were a little longer, but, um, you know, kind of complaining about the food and everything and I couldn't taste it. So it didn't really matter to me. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like, again, they, they also said that how nice that they health services was and how they were, you know, they really did care and like check in on you and like personally got to know you. So. So Cole gave us the idea of what a student's experience would be if they caught COVID this spring, how the school would internally deal with it. But how did they go about communicating that to the rest of the student body, to the rest of our community? For that, here's Sarah. Approaching, you know, next semester in COVID, how, how, can the school, how is the school planning on improving these communications? Because from what we've talked to, we've talked to alumni, we've talked to students, freshmen, teachers, and it, the there's a sentiment that people have to go searching for the information they want and the, and, and the full information which they want. You mentioned, you know, uh, we, you know, tell people what we can, but, you know, how valuable is that when it's not, you know, the full perspective you need to make your decisions? Because these are big decisions. They can, the stakes raise as yeah. COVID comes. So how are you guys looking to, you know, make sure communication is forthright and full? Yeah. So that's, like you mentioned, that's particularly important around the pandemic because the communication has to be more rapid and it has to be more complete, right? So there's a couple things we're doing. So one, um, part of it, was helped just by filling the position of um, the person who's now our director of public um, of media and public relations. And she's been huge because she's been able for us to push out um, weekly, um, sometimes bi-weekly, but sometimes weekly um, updates from the contingency planning group. Um, we're doing, you know, we've done a bunch of forums, which is just another way of, of, of reaching people. We've, what we're doing right now is we're going to supplement that with um, communicating any updates through social media as well. Before the spring semester starts, we are going to push, uh, launch and open up um, the dashboard. So the dashboard will have what the current campus alert level is. So that's going to be green, yellow, orange, or red. So that's going to be um, updated daily. It may not change daily, but we've got a small group of people who are making that decision every day. That's going to meet every day and say, okay, we still look green or we moved to yellow. Um, anytime there's going to be a change in the alert level, we're going to send a whack alert. So people will know immediately like, okay, we've changed. We've changed from green to yellow. That will direct them to the site where we have the data that um, now the data we're going to update weekly, which is the number of tests, how many positive tests, um, it's got links to the Kent County and the state of Maryland, positivity rates and things like that. Um, so those things um, for the spring semester, because we're going to have more students on campus, those have to happen, right? Like that's just, that's how you communicate daily because things change daily. Um, so that's just an example, I think, around COVID stuff of how we're going to approach um, the, the communication around what's going on communicating with that but uh i mean the mayor of chestertown doesn't know that they're the actual number of students that got sick and you know my roommate was one of the ones that caught 
uh, COVID. We, we all quarantined and were contacted every day by a tracing team, Washington College's tracing team. Yet there was no, when it occurred, when people were actually sick in quarantine, I didn't see any notifications, any, um, you know, evidence that anyone was sick. Even I went to the New York Times College uh, conglomerate or, you know, college cases and Washington College wasn't even on there. So, of course, you know, we say all these things, but how can we make sure that, you know, the school is following through with the things that you that we say if, you know, obviously we've had past troubles with transparency. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, the biggest difference in the fall um, is that, you know, we didn't have a dashboard set up in part because um, we, you know, we only had 30 some kids on campus. We had, you know, the, the other students off campus. And at that point, we didn't have the sort of the system set up um, to be transparent about it. So it wasn't like, oh, we're trying to hide this. We were at that point again, and that, this is part of the reason why I think we made the right decision not to bring all the students back because we didn't have everything in place to manage um, all of the, the data that was coming in about students. And then, and at that point, we still didn't have the director of, of public and media relations either. Um, a method of clearly pushing out um, information that we knew was accurate as well. So what we have different in the spring is that, you know, we've got this testing protocol. It's going to be run through health services. Um, we're going to be able to push that data out on the dashboard, um, you know, and, and, and we are going to be able to do that. Um, so we were not um, necessarily withholding that information. We weren't withholding that information, but we just weren't doing a systematic um, sharing of that information in the way that we're going to do that in the spring. And that, and that's, and you're absolutely right that, you know, if I'm, I think in an ideal world, we would have been prepared for that in the fall. And we would have been, we would have had the dashboard up even though we only had a few students. Um, that's what I would have preferred. Um, so, I, you know, it's not an excuse for it, but, you know, we didn't have the system set up and now we do. Um, and that's, we're going to learn from that and move forward. Gotcha. In, the, in an ideal world, we would have had that set up. In comparison to WAC, Haverford and St. Mary's, two schools of similar size and in the same athletic conference, were able to host students on campus for the fall 2020 semester, and both of which adopted hybrid learning plans. In our team's research into these schools, we saw similar dashboard infrastructures used last semester, like WAC is planning to use for this one. But while their dashboard approaches are ostensibly the same as Washington College is planning to do, our reporter Megan noticed something that differed around the Haverford's president's communication to their community. And then if you scroll all the way down, I found very interesting. And it, it reads, Haverford's office of the president and office of the dean have been releasing regular messages to current students in the campus community with operational updates during this unprecedented time. These messages are offered as a reference for current family and friends of Haverford students. And then you're taken to like another like main page. Basically it has all of the messages that were sent out from as recent as like November 19th, um, where they're announcing the end of the in-person semester um, back into March 11th, 2020.
Um, what I found interesting is there was a message uh, from uh, from July 2nd of 2020. So you, it's called Haverford College Plan for Fall Semester. So this message is really just a Q&A um, answering some frequently asked questions um, for the students. Um, under the question, are we really coming back? The president, Wendy Raymond, said, as Haverford has said all along, well, since their June 8th announcement, yes, they are coming back to campus. And of course, the progression of the COVID-19 pandemic and our local conditions could cause that to change at any time before or after we return to campus. As we have noted all along, we have been transparent you from the start and we will continue to do so. I assure you that there is no other shoe waiting to drop, a phrase that we have heard from students who have voiced concerns that I am hiding something from you. I am not. A few divergences we see from Washington College's communication that we hear from the Haverford president is that she uses I, she makes statements which people can hold her to. Um, and all of the information is presented from the last six months in a singular place. Now, we'll return to another conversation Megan had with the parent and alumni Kimberly. These were more of her feelings about how Washington College disseminates their information. Well, yeah, they're making it hard for people to join Zoom meetings at noon or they do it at, you know, 3.30 or some, some weird time or give us like maybe six hours notice before they, they have this. They're not giving people enough time to plan. I mean, I know, granted, you know, I work. Mm -hmm. I can't just hop on a Zoom call. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm actually in a school working, so I can't hop on a Zoom, you know, and, and you know, it's one way to get around things, I guess. That's just my opinion. You know, it's it's a CMA sort of sort of answer and CMA cover my ass kind of. You know, I I did have a meeting. You know, it was announced. Here it is. You know. So, you know, it's they're they're taking a page out of you know politics. They're just. Which is, yeah, it's respect, I respect it, you know, but it makes it tougher. Yeah. I, I think you can walk a line in terms of giving people what they need to know, honestly, and not revealing other things. And I don't think they do a good job of it. It's just better, it's, this is the way it is, this is my decision, and it's just best for you to, to, to go along with it which seems to be the norm now, so. Dictation of action seems to be the norm, is what Kimberly says. And that's frustrating, because we all want WAC to succeed. Me as a student, these faculties, these, these staff members, that we've all heard throughout this episode. We want to support our professors, our staff. We all want our classmates to have a wonderful college experience, to grow and learn and connect with another. And we all want to maintain a safe and healthy environment. But when communication is kept at arm's length, when, when you're being told things but you can't be sure of things, but 
it's not like this has been the start of our problems. Before I continue, I want to play a clip for you from Sarah Fireham talking about crisis. The best way to describe it is that, you know, in our work and in my work, we've always had, you always have crisis, right? Like that, that's just part of the deal at a, on a college campus. And when you have a crisis, you, you respond to it, you um, handle it in the best way possible, and then shortly thereafter, you kind of return to normal, right? And you move on. And, and what's different about this is that we have been in this state of high alert and crisis since April, you know, so well, since, you know, late March. And that's what's been so um, different um, and challenging, I think, and it, it is for everybody, right? Everybody's living through it. From our perspective, from a planning, from a leadership perspective, that is what's been the most um, difficult. As Sarah explained, the administration's job from her perspective is to continually deal with crisis, get one done and go back to normal. And COVID seems to be one that's not ending. But I, I, I think, I feel the students differ because these crises are compounding. It's not just, you know, COVID that happened. It's the throes of everything that's happened at Washington College before that's complicating this all. And throughout this whole process, we haven't had clear community inclusion into trying to help solve these. Like Kimberly said, many people feel like this is dictated. We're doing this. This is what we're doing. You're either with us or you're not. Working in that manner doesn't help to harbor this tight-knit community which Washington College puts on this pedestal. If you say your community is your strongest asset, yet you keep us at our arm's distance, how can we help solve these problems together? We can't. So up next is our reporter Victoria Gill's interview with President Powell. The audio is a little shaky because one of the board members that said they were recording the Zoom did not. But don't worry, Victoria was recording on her phone. Yeah, so I wanted to ask because this is kind of a wrap-up, um, how the past semester has gone for you when we talked the first time about your goals um, going forward into this new interim position. And a lot of it, you said, had to do with service and that leadership wasn't just about prestige and power, but serving the people that you're working over. And I was wondering over the past semester, how has that been exemplified in the work so far? I know there have been a lot of things that have heated the community in a lot of ways, not just like the staff and faculty, but also with the changes about students coming back to campus um, and how you're seeing that from your perspective of being on in Chestertown right now. Yeah, so so I'm, I'm um, encouraged by uh, about the future of Washington College. Um, so and that's what's um, important to me. You know, I, I don't have any personal evaluations because that's not, yeah, like I said, that's not what I'm here. Um, but I, I think uh, if we look at how the college has really thoughtfully tried to construct a good plan for spring, given all the all the unknowns, many of which will stay unknown until the day they they pop out. Um, 
I think the college has just done a, an extremely good job of that. One of the reasons why is because we've had uh, an active group that has faculty, staff, and students on it, so you're getting everybody's perspective, and that gives you the ability to make the best decisions possible. And, and I think uh, uh, I personally have had numerous conversations continuously with the faculty leadership um, and uh, to less extent, but, but also regularly with staff leadership and, and, and all just to make sure that uh, uh, we're doing the best things we can to manage the college. And I, I think that communication is, has been, been very refreshing. And open and honest exchanges. So I'm encouraged about that. And what we're trying to do is build a culture. The communication which Dr. Powell referred to as refreshing um, is the same communication we've been discussing for the past hour. And you're not sure what to believe, really, when you hear these different things. And if there's one person who's tried to work with the administration and, and knows that feeling, it's Jocelyn Elmore. So it's like everyone's always giving what, you know, they're putting on a mask. And then once, once everyone leaves, everything is gone now like everyone says what they're going to do but then once everyone walks their separate ways it's done so that's what it seemed so i'm not sure if i ever felt really i don't think i've ever felt really content with anything that anyone said to me because i couldn't honestly believe it believe it it was always talk and no action and like i'm an action person if i say something i'm going to do it so i expect you to do your part like if we agree on something we both need to do our part and everyone else never did their part. It was always the Black Student Union and the students doing their part, but no one else is ever doing their part. No one else is giving into the effort like we were. Um, so I'm not sure. And, and right, right now, um, like I'm, I've been asking around just to see because I'm, I, I put in too much time and too much effort and gave so much to the school for make, to make changes. And now it seems like nothing's happening. And I don't blame Jocelyn for feeling that way. When the Black Student Union requested a safe space last spring for students of color on campus at the packed town hall meeting before we all went home for coronavirus, Kurt Landgraf said, hey, we got you a safe space. It's uh, across Wash Ave, which is one of the problem areas for getting harassed for students of colors. And don't worry, it's in the basement of one of our oldest dorms which is notoriously filled with mold. I think it's clear the problem with communication and transparency. Our team is laid out for you, the listener. So how do we fix these? How do we get around a wound that has been festering for so long? And what do we want from our administration going forward? What do we want from Washington College going forward? And uh, I'll let Dr. Powell answer this question. So, so when you have problems, there are actually three steps to solving your problem. First one is sometimes the hardest, and that's admitting you have one and knowing what it is. The second step is to working with everybody involved to find a solution. And then the third step is actually implementing it. And uh, many people never, never get to step three. Uh, but I think uh, in the various issues surrounding Washington College, we're trying to go through those step by step and engage everybody possible in the solution process. 
and with that as well, um, to establish a sense of like community, there also has to be an established uh, set of trust within the people going into this relationship. And how do we best establish that trust between the institution of Washington College and the communities it looks to serve, but also is it's not responsible over it. Like there's a huge uh, kind of tension right now that we've seen in the past few weeks with the town and with, you know, the student town advisory committee and all these other committees that are working to serve. But, you know, what I'm hearing again and again is that the college is its own entity and that the town has like no control over it, which makes sense. But, you know, then there creates that tension with that trust. How are you looking to met that in some way? No, and and, uh, the way you always establish trust is just by telling the truth. so, and, and usually, and that doesn't always mean telling people what they want to hear. Trust starts with truth, says President Powell. And us members of the Transparency Trap team that put this together agree with him. Um, that's why we wanted to start this dialogue. That's why we put this podcast together. But we think it's a little bit more than that. Because these, these problems we were seeing at Washington College... They, With the coronavirus, we can see these in the micro at Washington College and then in the macro in the entire globe. Community and communication. That's what our school, our country, and our society depends on. The coronavirus pandemic has forced people into isolation. Our regular routines have been completely disrupted. It's caused financial stress, anxiety, depression, confusion, and just fear. But how do we overcome the problems of isolation, of, of this fear, of this uncertainty? And it, it's, it's almost ironic when we can't physically be together while we're isolated. The most important thing we can keep in mind is the collective effort which we put forward. And this is at Washington College and this is in the United States. This is everywhere. What isn't going to help is non-transparency, half-truths. Division amongst different tiers and communities. Washington College has the potential to pull through and become even stronger after this. And to quote President Powell, to start dealing with our problems, we have to admit that they're there. And Washington College needs to admit their shortcomings so they can get the community involved and we can work through these together. You let the donors know where you are. You let the students know where you are. You let the staff actually advocate for themselves. And maybe, since the community isn't fractured anymore, we can come out stronger. The road to recovery can begin. And though it might be long, Washington College could actually live up to that tight-knit community we always say we are. In the face of all this uncertainty, there are numerous directions the college's future could take. Shane Brill touched on this in his conversation with Nicole. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely feel like, like the college right now is just, it's probably very quiet. And, you know, for the students that are on campus, I do feel for them because I think it's, 
it is eerie and it's kind of disheartening to like not know um, when you'll be back or if you will. But so like with that in mind, do you think that in February, starting in the semester, that students should be back on campus? Or that, do you feel that like, there's going to be a clear answer almost? I don't see clarity coming anytime soon. Um, I, you know, but that said, I also think this is, a, you know, our culture has been long overdue for, not just Washington culture, but our consumer extraction culture is destroying the planet, is long overdue for a serious um, evaluation. And this is a tremendous opportunity to look at the framing conditions of our assumptions and think outside the box and take advantage of this precarious situation in which we find ourselves. It's evolving and murky and develop something new. You know, let, let old culture die and create something new and beautiful. And what's going to happen in February? I think February will come and go before we know it. Um, it'll be a ride. Thank you for listening to Washington College's Transparency Trap. Transparency Trap was written and created by English and journalism students Grace Apostle, Leah Duff, Victoria Gill, Nicole Hatfield, Evan Gaines, and Megan Locke. Production and sound design was done by me, Evan Gaines. Our team wanted to say a special thanks to everyone who took the time to speak with us and a special, special thanks to our narrative journalism professor, Sophia Abdurrahman. It is our sincerest hope that this piece helps facilitate a positive conversation and change inside our Washington College community. One last time, thank you for listening to Washington College's Transparency Trap. <laughs>